We All Have a Hunger, October 2001, Alfreda, Georgia, age 18. Artificial flavoring and coloring and chemical preservatives were off limits, but diet and exercise were a go in our house. In her 20s, my mother had done juice and water cleanses and once only ate watermelon for three weeks. She viewed diets through the lenses of health and spirituality, nourishment, or the restriction of it, a gateway to transcendence. If the body was a temple, then a cleanse meant cultivating a more holy place to connect to God. And if weight loss occurred, then all the better. Or at least that was my impression. Which meant by the time I was 15 and I started trying to alter my body through food, and by 18, went on my first restriction diet with the intention of weight loss, my mother not only supported it, but viewed it as a noble cause. Oh my God, you're so skinny, said a classmate of mine on homecoming night of our senior year. We were standing in the lobby outside our school's gymnasium where the dance was taking place. We'd been friends who hung out freshman year, but by senior year we were mostly just friendly. Except the way her eyes took in my quantifiable life form wasn't very kind either. Her delivery was clearly more of a statement than a compliment, and I couldn't reciprocate, because while I'd dropped weight, she'd gained it. Oh, yeah, I said, not sure how to respond to her. I'd always been able to sense others' emotions in relation to me, the way I eventually came to recognize it was projection, their beliefs about themselves put onto me. But then, I felt responsible for their reaction, how I affected them, and how they regarded me in return, was directly related to how deserving I felt of whatever I had that they didn't, meaning their worth, or lack of it, equaled my own. In elementary school, one of my best friends had a single parent, so I always felt guilty about having two. After Tom and I became engaged my senior year of college, I couldn't bring myself to share the news with my hairdresser and hid my ring, because she was a decade older than me and still looking for love. The part I recognized from the beginning but would suppress was that nothing came for free, not the parents or the ring or the body. I wanted this friend to know I earned this. I waited for her to ask me, just ask. Ask me how much work and sacrifice I put into looking like this. Because if she knew, then she couldn't look at me with equal parts envy and judgment without understanding. My body at that point was about consistent cardio at the gym and seven-minute abs every night before showering. I drank three meal replacement shakes a day instead of eating actual meals. Small amounts of veggies, fruits, and nuts I consumed in between. The way I'd built up my tan at the tanning bed for weeks and my acrylic nails and the fake highlights in my hair, the dress my mother bought me, which was a low-cut, skin-tight sheath accentuating all my curves. But that night, my friend never asked, and we went our separate ways. Her with another friend she'd come with and me back to a date that was a friend of a friend. He was nice to me, good-looking but closeted, before I had a term for it, and we didn't connect. The dance that was supposed to be made of glamour and magic dimmed by the fact that I felt disappointed and alone, restless, hungry for a feeling, for a want I couldn't name. I didn't view myself as a follower at that point in my life, but there was a passivity in my actions that moved in contradictory of my belief. For most of school, I picked things my mother had already chose for herself at my age, effectively becoming an inauthentic version of her. 
I take in choruses and electives since middle school because my mother liked to sing. I switched from Spanish to French my senior year of high school because my mother knew both languages and I thought I should too. I enrolled in AP history because my mother had been in advanced placement classes and AP environmental science because I was raised earth conscious. My science fair projects throughout high school were my mother's brainchild, testing Georgia's stream water quality and comparing my data to the EPA, along with my senior thesis for art school and college, clothed in identity, a theme and title she came up with. But none of this was a product of her forcing me in a certain direction or putting expectations on my achievement. Every choice I made was of my own volition while heavily leaning into my mother's sensibilities and finding myself frustrated with the results. In the family album, there's a photograph of me at three. I'm sitting on a high wooden stool behind the jewelry counter at Liberty House department store after just getting my ears pierced. My curly blonde hair is pulled up and half up, half down, one of my favorite styles, and I'm crying. Not silent tears, but screams. My pitch can be felt through the shot. I don't remember the process, but my mother told me I had begged to get my ears pierced for my third birthday. After observing my own girls at that age, it's hard for me to fathom I held that much conviction over an aesthetic choice. At three, Autumn was still mostly speaking in monkey talk, mimicking her favorite furry character, Curious George. And Violet was so averse to not just the idea of pain, but anything being done to her body that she would barely let me use benign nail clippers to trim her fingernails. But I had wanted, and I had gotten exactly what I asked for. My mother told me she'd warned me it would be painful, but I was not deterred until the shot of the ear gun through tender flesh, and then I looked at her with equal parts betrayal and hurt, like, how could you let this happen to me? Who or what we develop into is compounded over time, and it's never one token incident, but many except to the little me whose wish turned out to be the most painful experience of her short life. It's not so far-fetched to draw a line from that event to the night of homecoming. Prior to the ear-piercing incident, I could answer the question, what do you want, Jazzy? Because I was still integrated in my voice and listening, I hadn't cut off parts of myself yet to stay safe, to fit, to avoid the inevitable ache of growth, which meant from that point forward, I'd walk into situations unconsciously carrying a whole basket of wants, but without conscious intention to name them, I'd leave disappointed when my unknown expectations weren't met. Homecoming night, I'd embodied what I'd been programmed to trust would satisfy my emptiness, but my physique didn't get me a date who was actually into me or a friend who celebrated me. And while it felt like a temporary fix, what I achieved didn't fulfill me beyond reaching the initial accomplishment. I'd hadn't just been made to believe, but I also chose to try and find validation from the outside in, an impossible feat that grew more addicting once I hadn't and couldn't maintain it. Except I was just 18, and I'd been functioning off a formula I hadn't even been aware of. There is the piece about me cutting off my wants so I wouldn't get hurt, but there is also the layer of influence. Outside of what I myself absorbed from peer and societal pressure, once I interrogated what my mother told me versus what I saw, it was clear with all good intentions she was also distorted in her body alignment. I heard her ideas on health, and I consciously believed them, but what my subconscious absorbed was her energy. Underneath the surface of well-being was control. At 13, we started weighing ourselves together at the gym. 
And when we were out in the world, she'd be explicitly detailed in naming her perception of beauty when discussing other women's appearances. From the geishas who painted their teeth black, to the regency fashion of corsets so tight women would faint from lack of airflow, to the 80s Barbie body. My mother, like almost every woman since the beginning of time, held an overwhelming base desire for a just-out-of-reach manufactured aesthetic, convinced our appearance would set us free. Her body became no more than another tool she used to manipulate her circumstances, while her goal was always trying to lose the elusive five pounds, until she became sick and couldn't gain weight, and then she had a different problem altogether. High school was the start, but I yo-yoed for the following 20 years, chasing skinny, convinced if I captured the perfect body, then I'd finally be whole, while at the same time, experience an inner battle between an inability, refusal, and desperation to name my want, to take ownership of my reality, and declare what I was actually fighting for. I'm Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel, written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes. I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasmineleahrasmussen.substack.com to find out more.